Angels preview episode, Jessica D-Line from Halo's Heaven is here to talk. Mike Trout, Anderson Simmons, Shohei Otani, Joe Adele, pretty much go up and down the line all we could talk about. Plus, this is the first episode since uh, Manny Machado signed, so James Clark is here to react and kind of tells us what's next for the San Diego Padres. Welcome to Painting Corners, your weekly podcast for all things baseball. Now... Here are your hosts, Austin Hartsfield and Dave Kwiatkowski. All right, Jessica, one of the first dominoes to fall in this entire offseason was actually the Angels' acquisition signing Jonathan Lucroy. You trade away Maldonado last year. What do we think Jonathan Lucroy is going to be to this team? Is he that starting catcher every day? Is he that veteran presence? What does he mean to the Angels organization at this point? Because this doesn't seem like a move for a rebuilding team. I, You know, that that is a great question. And that was the first thing I asked myself when they signed him. I don't really see him as being a huge move. Uh, some, some people were a bigger fan of that transaction than I was. But Lacroix hasn't really been good since 2016 he had a good uh run in 2017 in colorado um as far as offense but defensively he's been a decent catcher uh he's certainly not a maldonado behind the plate uh, which was nice to have maldonado actually incidentally started to fall apart defensively last year Uh, i'm not sure how many people noticed that but we certainly did as as angels fans Uh, but lacroix is lacroix is one of those guys who could help carry this team or he could fall into the backup role. I don't think we really know um, what he's going to look like yet this year based on his last couple of years of performance. Uh, And you're going to, you're going to see this down the roster that the angels have this tendency to pick up, pick up these guys that were good two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, and they think they can turn them around or make them at least sustainable enough to get by and i think he's one of those guys yeah and you know once you get enough out of a catcher once they hit about age 30 it's time to maybe think about moving on and getting ready because catchers are like running backs once they hit the age of 30 probably time to start looking a different direction that that's pretty much it and i I think there's a lot of question about how many games he's going to be able to catch behind the plate um so so we're going to see how that all shakes out um jose bricino is there as well to back him up and he yeah he he could end up carrying a, a decent share of the load uh, if he if he performs. He he did all right last year in his debut, um, but we didn't get to see a whole lot of him. So. That was actually my next question. Is he the future catcher of this organization? Because it seems like it's kind of heading in that direction, and there's not a ton of options, and it's not like he's a bad option to begin with. But I could be wrong. So what's the future of this organization behind the backstop for the Los Angeles Angels for the years to come? You know, surprisingly, we've always made the joke about the Angels that Ever, uh, in the first or second round, which they did not do the last couple of years under Billy Epler. Um, but there really isn't a strong catcher. Um, Jack Kruger is a couple of years away. He might be the next best thing, but defensively, he's only throwing out about 20% of base runners. So he has the offense, but he's not really there defensively, and I'm not sure how much better he's going to get there. Other, other than uh, Kruger, there's really not a lot of strong candidates uh, down the road at the catcher position. So we're going to move to first base here, so we're going to talk a little about a guy that I absolutely love the signing for this team. Justin Bohr is perfect for this team. I mean, Justin is a guy obviously coming off his worst year as a professional so far, but this is a guy that prior to last year never hit below 264. And you have to think about that when it comes to first base, that's a pretty big deal. 
And a lot like Lucroy, this is one of those one-year show-me deals. Prove to me that you can be a good baseball player again, and if that happens, you'll make money next year, and you'll make a lot more than you made this year, which which he signed for $2.5 million, which when we comes down to it, is an absolute bargain for a guy that could have a big year. You know what? Um, for the price, he was a good addition. I, I was a little bit bullish on the action, but only because I feel like the Angels need a bit more flexibility. Uh, Justin Bohr is only going to play first base and he's going to DH and and guess who else we have there we have Albert Pujols who may or may not be um, good this year we don't really know he's getting older and older and Shohei Otani who's going to hopefully get as many at bats as possible since he can't pitch or at first base to me takes at bats away potentially from Pujols and Otani uh, if he takes those at bats away only from Pujols that might not be so bad because I think if you look at the stats he was better than Pujols was last year. Uh, I personally was hoping for somebody at first base who could maybe play a corner infield spot as well um, and be a little bit more flexible. But uh, if you're if you're looking at just dollar value for Bohr, I think that was a great signing, absolutely, for what they got him for. Another guy that's kind of on the roster and is an absolute baseball legend when he retires, he'll be a Hall of Famer without a doubt, is Albert Pujols. The only problem when we ha- talk about Albert now is it's kind of – all based around his contract. Nobody seems to be talking about how good Albert is anymore because he's getting paid the massive amounts of money that he's getting paid over the next couple of years. But Albert is still kind of doing it, not to the extent that he was when he was amazing, but he's still a serviceable Major League Baseball player, and that's what you need at first base. Yeah, it, it's rough. I mean, he's making th- almost $30 million a year for three more years, and you've, we've already seen the decline. So we're talking about three more years of decline, and at some point the Angels are going to have to eat some of that. Uh, with, the, with the change of managers um, from away from Mike Sosha, Mike Sosha always was very protective of his veterans, uh, to Brad Osmus, who has hinted that he's going to play whoever is performing the best. Maybe we will see Pujols play less, but I am not convinced. Um, he's making almost $30 million, and as you said, his pedigree has passed. Uh, is there. Uh, He can still hit. Uh, However, he's not hitting like somebody who's making $30 million. He's hitting like somebody who should make maybe four or $5 million. So I I think we're going to have to wait and see uh, how much he plays and how healthy he stays. But if he stays healthy. Albert is so old that people that he played with or against in this case uh, with new manager Brad Osmus, it must be weird seeing a guy that you were rivals with for so long not necessarily player to player, but more team to team when it's talking about Cardinals Astros. I mean, they had the great playoff series in 2004 and 2005 uh, with Edmonds and Pujols ending games and then the Astros going to the World Series the year after that the Cardinals did. But how's the relationship? How do you think Albert kind of views a new manager that he played against coming in? How does that go? <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, one thing about Poolhouse, House, uh, say what you want about him not being that good player anymore. He's he's a stand-up guy, and he he's a very honorable dude, and I think he probably doesn't think anything of that. He probably has respect for Brad Osmus, and uh, I think he will have no problem uh, seeing him in the clubhouse and playing for him and under his leadership. Very excited about the Brad Osmus signing to be on the manager. I mean, it's a change of scenery from Mike Sosha and everything that Mike did kind of for this team. But you also have to think about the hand that he was dealt in Detroit. It wasn't the greatest hand possible. I mean, you had a whole bunch of older players on that team. There wasn't really a standout star. I mean, if we're really thinking about it, the best two players on that team that he had were Nick Cassianos and Michael Fulmer. 
Michael Fulmer probably won't be there for very long, but you know, I think it's exciting for Angels fans to have a young manager in there instead of Mike Sosha. Not that Mike Sosha wasn't great. Mike Sosha was actually one of the best uh, managers of his generation, got a World Series ring to Los Angeles, or actually Anaheim at the time, but you know, we you have to move on, and just like that, we're actually going to move on to second base. A little confused about who's going to play second. A uh, guy that I'm really excited about actually is David Fletcher. David Fletcher seems to do everything right. He's kind of an old school guy. He puts the ball in play, doesn't strike out, but he also doesn't walk. It's just one of those things to where it's a guy that I love to watch play baseball because he puts the ball in play and he seems to do everything fundamentally correct. But the reason for my confusion is there's nobody actually on our website that we use, which is Sport Track, to track you know salaries, depth charts. When we go and look at the money perspective of it, there's actually nobody listed. So. What does the future of second base look at for the Los Angeles Angels? And kind of give me your two cents on David Fletcher. You know, what's baffling to me is David Fletcher was, I think, the third or fourth highest Angels offensive player in war last year. But nobody's putting him at the forefront. For some reason, everybody is, oh, he's going to be a utility guy or he's not a starter. Um, I think second base is his job to lose. Uh, he's not that the current status of baseball is, is all about hitting home runs. It's all about launch angle. David Fletcher is not that guy. He puts the ball in play. He does hit in this double plays. His on base is only, uh, I don't, I forget what it was last year, 310 or 320. He, yeah, we're going to talk about another player in the angels who's even better and hopefully he can learn from him, but I'll save that for when we get to that position. Um, but yeah, Fletcher, if he, if he can cut down on his double plays a little bit, double play balls. Uh, cut down on those um, th- those outs that he's forcing on the base pass. I think he could be really good. Defensively, he's amazing. He's really good. He's really solid there. And he had a great season last year. I mean, a, a two, I, I don't know what he batted, 270, somewhere around there. Yeah, and then he had a 310 or 320 on base. Uh, that That's good. It's it's not a $20 million a year player, but we're paying him league minimum. That that's I have no problem with Fletcher starting at second base. I mean, I think any team would be pretty excited to boast a defensive infield, middle of the infield at least, containing Anderton Simmons and David Fletcher. I mean, you also have David Fletcher, like we were just talking about, 275 average. The kid puts the ball in play. His OBP is never going to be too high unless he learns to walk, which, I mean, is not that big of a deal. I mean, especially when you're as good as he is defensively and you actually get on base with regular base hits. He's never going to look sexy in the stat column, per se, but he's the perfect player for this kind of era to kind of contrast everything, even with if it only gives you 1 to 10 home runs a year. He should definitely be a cog in the machine of this team going forward. Absolutely, yeah. I, I think, you know, yeah, it's definitely his job to lose. Uh, Louis Rengifo is hanging in the wings, but he hasn't seen any major league playing time yet. Uh, he could be better than Fletcher at second base. But I don't see that happening out of spring training. Uh, maybe from at a some good point contract this season, to a we'll not so him. good contract in Zach Cozart. Uh, it was a kind of a not a marquee free agent last year, but he was in the upper le- echelon of free agents. Winds up in Los Angeles, doesn't have the year that everybody wanted. What is the feel with Zach Cozart going forward, and what does the future at third base hold for this Angels organization? You know, it's going to be Cozart. Um, Cozart, I-, I was a fan of the Cozart signing. Um, we, we on the Halo 7 staff did a series, we do a series each offseason of If I Were Billy Upler, and 
uh, one uh, in my piece a couple of years ago it was we should sign Zach Cozart, and lo and behold, he actually did. Um, he did not have a great season last year, and then he got hurt. Um, hoping for a bounce back from Cozart, he he can be very solid there. He was an amazing shortstop just a few years ago, uh, so he can hold down third base. Taylor Ward hasn't really shown that he can hit big league pitching yet, so I don't I don't see why Cozart's not going to start there if he's healthy. Um, I think he had, ro was it rotator cuff? No, labrum surgery, uh, which you don't always come back 100% from. So I think that's going to be the determining factor of who plays third base is if Cozart comes back healthy or not. Well, and I think we know that Cozart's never been an absolute spectacular hitter. And I think the Angels were going off more of hoping that a change of scenery might affect him a little bit. And it might maybe boost him up and give him an extra little juice that he needs at uh, third base and become a a good defender and not a great defender. But, I mean, we can honestly transition out of Cozart and third base after we talked about Taylor Ward already into a guy who is an absolute phenom at shortstop. Anderson Simmons is the best defensive shortstop in baseball, and it's not even close. I mean, how many people in baseball can you say without a bat in their hand is must-see TV? There's not very many. Uh, maybe it's a little biased here, but with me, I think it's Jackie Bradley Jr. Anytime Jackie kind of goes for a ball, you know, you kind of sit on the edge of your seat. Also, Andrelton's AL West companion and Matt Chapman, who is also an absolute vacuum. I don't think people get to watch Andrelton enough and do not appreciate him enough. If he can ever just stay truly healthy, because, you know, there are times that he doesn't look great and, you, you know, he, you hope that he kind of steps it up in the box a little bit. But whatever he does with the bat, it's almost a bonus because of how talented he is in the field. Yeah, Simmons, Simmons is incredible. Um, he is a highlight in and of himself. And I'm glad that you've seen him play because I think a lot of people haven't and they don't realize how good he is uh, at defense. He he is ridiculous. Some people say he's lost the, lost the step. Um, I don't really see it. He's still, he's still in his prime uh, defensively and offensively. He's been getting better and better and he has his stats last year as far as strikeout rates and dangerous full count to strike hitters he was one of the best in baseball so not only are you talking about a guy who is amazing at defense his offense has been spectacular as of late and he doesn't get credit for it and he's playing in an american league that is stacked with shortstops uh, any other era he would be an all-star every season but he has yet, you know, he, he keeps missing out because of the uh, situation in the league right now. But yeah, he's amazing to watch. And if people haven't seen him play defense, that's worth watching alone for sure. I don't think it would be a mistake to say what Mike Trout is offensively for war. Anderton is kind of the equivalent to that defensively. And I mean, he basically runs the stat. Yeah, I mean, defensively war, there's nobody really on par with him. Um especially when it comes to the shortstop position. So, yeah, I think I think the problem is he plays a, he plays so aggressively, he's bound to get hurt from time to time. The Red Sox ran into the same situation with guys like Dustin Pedroia. I mean, Dustin Pedroia lays his body on the line every single night for that team, knowing that he can get to a ball and feeling that if he doesn't get to that ball and if he doesn't give his 100% best effort to get there, that he's going to feel bad. Anderson is the same way. I mean, they lay their body out on the line. They really don't care how they're going to feel after they make the play. They're just trying to do what's best for the team at that point and putting their bodies out there. 
But if you look at uh, Simmons' last two seasons, the 158 and 146 games, it's pretty good. Um, last year, I actually just pulled it up. He had 6.2 war as a shortstop, and nobody really even talked about him um, for not only MVP, but for shortstop uh, in the All-Star game, which is kind of ridiculous. And I don't think it's a mistake to say that there definitely is an East Coast bias. I mean, no matter where you are, the games definitely come a whole on a whole lot earlier on the East Coast than they do on the West Coast. That's just a simple fact. And people do not want to stay up till, you know, in the East Coast, it's, I believe, something like 1 o'clock to watch the Angels play or watch the Dodgers play, Mariners, etc. When you can watch the Red Sox at 8 o'clock that night, East time, and 7 o'clock my time, and watch the Yankees at those same times. That's why a guy like Mike Trout, and Anderson Simmons don't get the exposure that they're definitely, they should. I mean, Matt Chapman's another one, Chris Davis in Oakland. They just don't get the attention that they should because of where they play. And you can't really find that anywhere in the business world other than sports. Yeah, that that's very true. And that's why Simmons gets overlooked quite a bit, which is, which is really sad. This is a topic that's very exciting. Uh, we finally get to talk about the best player on the planet. First of all, before you get to him, I kind of want to break it down for people just so they can see kind of the what his greatness really is. He's a seven-time All-Star, poster child for the all-important war stat at this point when it comes down to baseball reference and fan graphs. Uh, six top two finishes in MVP, six, gold, six silver sluggers, no gold gloves yet. That one's definitely coming. Every single season that he's been a full major leaguer, he's finished in the top five in MVP voting. I'll let that sink in for people that have never heard that stuff before. And by the way, he's 28 years old, Mike Trout. Let's 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 do it because I love talking about Mike Trout. Um, incidentally, I've had a chance to talk to him a couple times, and he's a super great guy, really humble, uh, really easy to talk to. Um, but yeah, he he keeps getting better. Uh, you you see a season from Mike Trout, and you're like, oh, that was great, and it's like, oh, next year he's even better. And, and he keeps working on stuff. He realizes defense wasn't as good, so he worked on that. He realizes arm wasn't as good, so he worked on that. I mean, when you're when you already have a elite level arm, and then you try to make it better, and then you do. Um, that says a lot about who you are as a player and people don't watch him or talk about him as much as they probably should because he's not flashy. Uh, he's quiet. Um, but, uh, as you have said earlier is he, he's the best player in baseball. Um, and yeah, that's people need to watch him just like Andrelton Simmons. Uh, when the angels are having a rough streak, like they've had the last few years, we watch trout and we watch Simmons and and, you know, we at least get some sort of satisfaction in watching those two guys out there. You know, when it comes to sports, there's always a debate about who the best player is in that particular game. It was like that in basketball for a very long time in the 2000s. You know, you had Kobe, LeBron, back and forth. I mean, you can pretty much do that with any sport. As of right now in baseball, it's not even close. I mean, this guy can have an off year and still finish top five in the MVP voting when it comes down to just overall performance because his floor is so much higher than 90% of baseball's ceiling and he's just incredible I mean there's nothing like it in sports he's an absolute just an anomaly it really is and I, I don't see I don't see it stopping um the only thing I worry about is like Simmons he plays so hard is hopefully he stays healthy every year uh, he's had a few issues the past few years but uh, yeah, he it, it is pretty ridiculous what he can do and what he can do at the plate and how dangerous of a hitter he really is. You know, if we take the contract out of it, Justin Upton didn't have a bad year last year. I mean, the guy hit 30 home runs, hit 250, played average 
defense and uh, overall was a remotely good baseball player. Now, when we look around this outfield, are you concerned about them at all? Is this one of the weaker parts if you take Mike Trout out of the equation? And kind of what's the feel on the two outfielders that are probably going to start the year and Justin Upton and Cole Calhoun? I think Justin Upton's going to be fine um, next year in left field. I'm more worried about the end of his contract. They signed a five-year deal with him. Um, I think he'll just be he'll be just fine next year. Offensively, he'll be good. Defensively, he'll be maybe average. Um, so I'm not too worried about the left field position. Cole Calhoun, I'm worried about. He had a really rough start to his season last year. And then he changed his batting stance, and he just tore it up in the middle of the season. But he ended pretty much the same way he started. So I'm not really convinced that he's going to be able to put together a solid season out there in right field. One of the things I was hoping the Angels would do this offseason was was get a solid fourth outfielder or maybe even a potential replacement for Calhoun and bump him to a fourth outfielder. But they didn't do that. Uh, If you look at the depth charts, it's Upton, Trout, Calhoun, Fletcher, who's second baseman, and can play right field. And then you have Hermosillo, who just debuted last year, and his numbers didn't look that great. So the outfield really isn't strong behind those three, and we might see another situation like last year where if one of them gets hurt, we're going to see a bunch of people cycle through as that third outfielder to replace whoever's injured, and it's not really a good situation to be in. We couldn't go this whole entire time without talking about the next Angel outfielder in Joe Adele. I mean, what is the timetable on the recently updated number 14 prospect in all of baseball, not just in the Angel system, obviously number one in the Angel system, but again, in a top 20 that is extremely stacked when it comes to overall Major League Baseball. What is the skill set like? What is the timetable looking like on him? And what's it kind of like to just watch him? Yeah, Adele is amazing. I've seen a lot of footage of him training this offseason, just playing last season. I got to go see some of his games um, before he got promoted to double-A. I was watching him at Inland Empire. Um, He he is just amazing to watch. I got to see Vlad Jr. as well, who's one of the other top baseball prospects. And both of those guys are, they're just spectacular to watch. There's a reason why they're top 10 on every list of the top 100 players and prospects in baseball right now. So yeah, Adele, he he is at least a year away. I think best case scenario, you see a September call-up of Adele, um, but you may not see him until 2020. Uh, And then, yeah, and then you'd be looking at Upton Trout and Adele. Um, Calhoun is nearing the end of his contract. So that, that outfield would look pretty good, I think. The Angels were a huge part in the phenomenon that was Otani time this year. I mean... It was absolutely incredible. I mean, you were somebody that was on the inside of that. You kind of experienced it. What was it like to cover him as a reporter? And what was Showtime really like just in general? I mean, it's a phenomenon with the fact that you can have the best player in the United States and the best player in Japan on the same team. That should be a marketing dream. But as for like, you know, players, I mean, how did everybody kind of react to Shohei Otani coming over from Japan and really just taking this game in stride, not only pitching very, very well, but also hitting the ball extremely well. I've never seen anything like it in my lifetime, really. I haven't seen uh, even even Mike Trout or anybody, I, the, the, just the phenomena that's around Shohei Otani, the people who love him who aren't Angels fans. Um, he, 
he had a go ahead a home run or a home run against the Cleveland Indians that in a game they ended up losing. A friend of mine, her brother is on the Indians, um, and she was even like, "Oh, that guy, he's ridiculous!" Like, but I love to watch him, right? She would probably never admit that when he's playing the Indians, but <laughs> he he. He brings people together. He brings people to baseball. Uh, he's brought a lot of Japanese fans to MLB. He he is just spectacular. If you've never seen Shohei Otani watch batting practice, you have to find a way to do that. He puts on a show, saying, and everybody loves him. Doesn't matter what team you're rooting for. So, it's it's really cool to see for sure. It's it's just really amazing that you can have two of the best players on the planet and. The best player in the United States and the best player in Asia and still not get the media attention or the airtime when it comes to, you know, Sunday night baseball, whether it come to just media time in general. You think that having those players, there would be more Angels coverage and there's just not. It's all on the East Coast. And I think that's a disservice when it comes down to, you know, the fans, because these guys need to be able to watch these Guys do their thing, and the fact that they don't get the exposure means that, you know, fans can't really watch these guys play the level of baseball that that they are playing. And, you know, it's just crazy that Mike Trout's the best player in the world and the best player that we've seen, and at the end of the day, probably has a chance to be the greatest player ever to step on a baseball field. You have Anderson Simmons, who plays phenomenal defense and should be on every single highlight tape when it comes to you know, web gems for the year. I mean, he could have a whole role of his own. Then you have Otani, who's done it both ways. I mean, Otani time has been a huge thing in Los Angeles, and it's been a huge thing in Japan. Why is it different for the rest of the United States? Why isn't anybody else, you know, getting to see Otani time more than twice a year? I, I think for sure the East Coast bias comes into effect. If you look at the coverage of baseball and the percentage of it that's on the Yankees and Red Sox versus the rest of the teams, it's pretty lopsided. Um, Trout and Otani are also both pretty quiet, so they're not going to get as much attention. I think if you put somebody like a uh, Bryce Harper on the Dodgers, he would probably get attention because he's a little bit more out there um, with his behavior. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a combination of the East Coast bias, people not seeing the West Coast teams, and both Trout and Otani being really quiet and humble kind of guys, and they're not really out there to be showy. They just want to play. I think the Matt Harvey signing might wind up probably being one of the best moves of this entire offseason, just because there's not a ton of risk when it comes to Matt Harvey. I mean, what's the worst case scenario? You know, you spend $10 million on a guy that, you know, doesn't play. It's not like the Angels haven't done it before. You know, I mean, this is an organization that spends money and giving a guy basically another chance after he had a pretty good year in Cincinnati, a little bounce back. You know, not everybody's built for New York. I think we're about to get the same thing with Sonny Gray. The biggest thing with this deal is it's kind of a one-year show-me deal when it comes down to everything. There's no money locked up long-term. And I think that's the biggest thing with this is you're giving Matt Harvey a chance to show you what he can do and basically if he can do it. But I'm really enjoying Matt Har uh, this Matt Harvey signing and kind of what's the rotation look like around and behind him. Yeah, I mean, Matt Matt Harvey, I, I wouldn't say there's no risk. I think there's better pitchers the Angels could have signed for. He, he makes potentially $14 million with incentives, but he's got potential. He's one, he's one of those guys on the team that if things go well for him, he can really help be a difference maker on that roster. Uh, I, there's question marks. I mean, Andrew Heaney was kind of the, the ace of the staff last year. 
And on most playoff teams, he would have been a number three, number four starter. Uh, we've got, you know, Tyler Skaggs, Nick Tropiano, who spent the year injured on and off. Of course, they picked up Trevor Cahill. So I, I just feel like there's question marks. There's injury histories. There's nobody who really blows you away in that rotation. Uh, if you were going to actually make it to the playoffs, which I'm not certain that the Angels will this year, um, who do you match up? Uh, there's nobody to match up with Kershaw. There's nobody to match up with Chris Sale. Uh, there's nobody to rat match up with the number two and three starters on on most of those teams. So I think the rotation, they're just hoping for innings, honestly, um, and to not burn through 14 or 15 starting pitchers like they did last year. Is there any pitching prospects that you think could probably make an impact on this team or any of them that you're thoroughly excited about when it comes down to it or that the Angel organization seems to be very high on? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, the first one that stands out is is Griffith, Griffin Canning. Um, he had a pretty great year last year. Um, they went a little bit easy on him because so many innings in college. Uh, we will probably see him in the rotation at some point this year. And he has a lot of potential. I think he has the potential to be better than a Haney or Skaggs, uh, which is pretty exciting. Um, beyond him, um, there's not really Jose Suarez. People, A lot of people are talking about, but I haven't been too impressed with yet. So I don't see... There's, there's no really number one, number two guys in the system. Uh, maybe, maybe Canning is as close as you get to that, but he's not really... Not really kind of prospect, but uh, Canning and Suarez are probably the two closest, most exciting uh, pitchers that could join the rotation and probably will at some point this year. Suarez is only, I think, 20 years old, too. So <laughs> the Angels were actually very aggressive in the last year uh, under Epler with promoting people. I think Joe Adele was at three different levels last year. There's nothing wrong with promoting people very fast and being aggressive. I mean, there's a ton of things that can happen, especially when it comes down to guys like Bryce Harper, Juan Soto. I mean, the Nationals are a big one, obviously. Uh, you have guys like Andrew Benintendi who weren't in the farm system very long. I mean, Benintendi was in there for less than a year and a half before he started. It's basically left field for the Sox. Yep, and the Angels have a few of those guys, right? Pujols and Trout both blew through the farm system really fast. All right, so with the recent acquisition of a brand-new closer, work me with the closer and go backwards. Is Cody Allen the closer of this ball club? The departure of Blake Parker to the Minnesota Twins at this point. They need a closer for sure. Uh, how does this bullpen look and how does it break down? Uh, Cody Allen, I think. I think uh, the closer job is his to lose. I think they brought him in to be assurance that he was going to get a chance to be the closer. So he has that. Uh, there's obviously some concern with how he pitched for the Indians last year. I think he blew about... 25% of his saves, maybe I'm going a little high. So there's there's definitely some concern about his consistency there. Uh, he needs to hold it down because Keenan Middleton will be back in mid-season, maybe June or July. He certainly has closer potential, as does Ty Buttry, who the Angels recently picked up. So I think any three of those guys could end up closing games out this year, and we may have a different closer by the end of the season uh, than we do at the start of the season, especially if Cody Allen looks more like his 2018 self. Um, the guys that we're looking at behind that, uh, Justin Anderson, he was super exciting. He was I don't know if you know much about Justin Anderson, but he started last year in double A. He moved to triple A and just pitched like a couple games there and then the Angels called him up. And I was like, wow, where did that come from? So he, he has he has some good stuff, but he was he got really wild, started walking a lot of people. 
Um, the angels have a lot of bullpen arms in general that throw really hard, but have some control issues. So hopefully with some of the changes in the coaching staff, they can get those under control um, and, you know, kind of settle some of these guys down. So we've got a uh, Allen, Middleton, Anderson, Cam Bedrosian is still there. He's definitely been on a decline. I'm not sure what he's going to look like this season. I don't necessarily want to see him in the eighth or ninth inning based on last year, but you never know. Uh, we've got Noe Ramirez. He started out great as an angel. But then he also saw a significant decline as well. Um, Hansel Robles, he's one of their newer bullpen arms. Uh, he has a lot of potential as well to be a back end of the bullpen kind of guy. So I'm kind of excited to see how he can develop. Uh, Jake Jewell last year, he debuted and then got hurt, which was very unfortunate. Um, I don't, I see him more as kind of a setup middle, middle innings kind of guy anyway, but uh, yeah. So th those are some of the kind of key guys in the bullpen. If you look at their depth chart, they have, they have a uh, Jerez, El Monte, Cole are also there as well, but I don't know that even any of those guys are going to be real significant in 2019. How does everybody seem to be reacting with the new manager? I mean, the Angels haven't had a new manager in over 20 years. Mike Sosha was here. Uh, I'm actually very excited for Brad Osmus. I thought he got dealt a really bad hand uh, with a lot of players that didn't want to be there and a roster that wasn't very good. You now have the best player in the world. You also have Albert Pujols, who is still putting up numbers when he can. And... You know, this is a more talented roster than what he had before. And adding Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, Anderson Simmons, I mean, those are huge upgrades from, you know, and I love Nick Castellanos. But unfortunately, for them at least, Mike Trout is the best player in the world. I mean, you know, and if we want to go to shortstop, Jose Iglesias is cool. Anderson Simmons is the Ferrari to his, you know, let's say Toyota Camry. And we could go on and on and on, but... You know, the Angels are just an overall better roster, a better team, and I'm very excited for Osmus to get this opportunity. But what's the feel in the fan base, you know, with the writers about Brad Osmus coming to this organization and replacing Mike Sosha after, you know, retirement? Yeah, on honestly, I think there's, there's from indifference to excitement, I think a lot of people were ready for a change because the Angels have been you know, dealing with losing seasons for three years in a row now. And Mike Sosha maybe overstayed his welcome by about three or four years. So I, I think there's some excitement that Brad Osmus is not Mike Sosha. But at the same time, he, he didn't necessarily have a lot of ex success in Detroit either. So there, there's some question there. Me personally, I'm, a, I'm excited to give, the, give him the benefit of the doubt. Realize that he's not Mike Sosha. He's going to come in with some different techniques and some different um, uh, attitudes toward how to play people, um, how to do matchups. I mean, Mike Sosha became really predictable. I, I think I even heard one of the quotes from, I don't know if it was Paul Malter or um, Bud Black, who were like, they just knew what Mike Sosha would do in a given play because he became predictable. <laughs> so I, I think it'll be kind of nice to have uh, a new manager, new blood, and kind of some new uh, in-game decisions that are going to be happening this year. What are the expectations for this Angels team going in? Not a lot has really changed outside the management and adding Matt Harvey, really, and Cody Allen. Uh, when it comes down to it, how many wins around is this going to team hang around? And what has to happen in order for the Angels to make a run? And is there any way 
anyhow that they somehow top the Astros or even the A's. If Houston doesn't win the division, there's something that went really wrong for them or really right for, for somebody else. Uh, the Angels right now, honestly, I think around 83 wins. I don't think they're spectacular. I think they have potential if Cody Allen uh, really becomes that lockdown closer. Uh, if Matt Harvey and Trevor Cahill are strong additions to the rotation, I think they have potential to hit maybe 86 or 87 games and catch a wild card spot. But that's probably kind of their upper end of things. And I think for that to happen, they have to have some things go right. I would be completely surprised if this team were able to pull off 90 wins. <laughs> you can find Jessica's content. Her Twitter is actually a baseball chick, one of the best Twitter handles in all of the land. You can also find everything that she's working on, considering Angel's stuff at Halo's Heaven. Uh, the SB Nation site for the Los Angeles Angels, talking about Mike Trout, pretty much anything Angels that you could possibly want. As for now, we are now going to East Village Time creator, San Diego Padres site, James Clark's reaction to landing Manny Machado. I mean, this is obviously a very big deal, and, you know, you're going to hear, you know, the excitement from him that, that this he thinks that this organization has basically turned its head and it's finally decided that it's time to go after it with all this prospects coming up the guy who literally ended the major league baseball season has officially signed 10 years 300 million with the san diego padres something that a lot of people at the beginning of the offseason didn't even think was possible what does this mean for this organization as a whole you obviously were looking for a third baseman at the time and, you know, to go with Tatis and Urias and Hosmer and kind of fill in the infield. It was a big hole throughout this whole offseason. What does this Manny Machado signing meeting mean for this Padres team? Uh, I think it pretty much turns the light on on the city of San Diego. I think, uh, well, I know that, that the city's a buzz right now. Uh, and the Padres are 250 miles away in, in Arizona. Everybody's excited. This is This is what the team the fans had been craving for a long time when you look at Manny Machado this is arguably the best offensive player that the Padres have had on their team since Dave Winfield my apologies to Tony Gwynn but we're talking about all around power speed everything I mean this is this is it this is a top 15 player in all of the game that's not debatable that's something that this franchise hasn't had for a long time and it's exciting and you team that up and you add that to the fact that there's 10 prospects in the in the top 100 Fernando Tatis Chris Paddock should be here in 2019 at Petco Park and even the national media is starting to pick up on this People that don't even follow the Padres, that don't even realize that they San Diego still has a baseball team, are starting to understand that. Wait a minute, this is this is adding up. This is going to be successful. There's I, I don't know what the stats. I saw a stat somewhere that tr uh, teams that have had the top uh, farm system in baseball have traditionally made the playoffs like 80 percent of the time within the next five years or whatever the stat is. The Padres are. are heading towards relevancy and it's pretty exciting for for San Diegans. Uh, I know that a lot of the national media or a lot of the local media around here was pretty surprised. We were still pretty 
we're still in shock. I mean, this is this is the Padres. Yeah, I mean, this is the Padres you're talking about. This is, as as you said, the richest contract in the history of North American sports. I mean, that's that's crazy. I mean, this that's and you know beyond that, there had been this narrative from the fan base that this team had not spent money, which had been false. Uh, you know, the Padres signed James Shields to seventy-five million. Uh, four or five years ago, the next year they they gave uh, Will Myers eighty three million in an extension. The year after that, they spent over eighty million dollars in international talent. Last year, Eric Hosmer was given a hundred and forty four million dollar contract, and now we have a three hundred million dollar to Manny Machado. That's a total of six hundred and eighty two million dollars that is spent on this franchise in the last five years. So. The fans can pretty much stop complaining about this team not spending money because they are spending money. Now, hopefully, this turns into something, something that's going to be have longevity, and it should. Uh, looking at the Padres' everyday lineup of of eight players, mixing Mejia and, and Hedges, mixing Margot and and uh, and uh, Franchi, and as well as Franmil and Renfro, all eight of those players are under team control for the next four or five seasons. That's pretty unreal. And, and then you team that up with three or four prospects that are, that are already in the rotation pitching and five or six, seven that are coming on the way. If they sprinkle in some, some starting pitching here and there, they already have a relevant bullpen. We're talking about a team that's going to excel pretty quickly up the rankings and, and be a pretty decent team. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a native San Diegan. I'm trying to be, trying to to look at it without this biasness but it's pretty exciting and you just can't help but wonder what the future is for this team so here's the thing with this whole deal for people that don't seem to realize what they're getting in Manny Machado if you take the last four years which is a good sample size it's a good it's a good sample size he also plays a ton of games he averages 159 games per season what more can you ask out of somebody when it comes down to that that's huge Yes, uh, it's 156 games or more he's played in five out of the last six years. And the only time he missed was in 2014 when he had a serious knee injury. I mean, he's going to be there every day and be in the lineup every day. And that's that's pretty cool. When a fan is going to put down their money and want to go to Petco Park and, or, and take their family, they're going to want to see that superstar in the lineup. And more often than not, he's going to be in there and there's going to be a good core of players around him. And that's... That's exciting. It really is. For the last four years, we just talked about the 159 games played. Uh, he's averaged, his average is 284. He's slashing basically 284, 345, 511, and 856. So that's a pretty damn good numbers. He's got 142 home runs in four years. I'll let you put that, or, yeah, in four years. I'll let you put that together in y'all's heads, basically. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, in saying those home run numbers, the franchise record for the San Diego Padres in home runs is Nate Colbert with 163 home runs. Manny Machado will be the franchise home run record holder in four, five, maybe six years. Yeah, I mean, unless I'm, Nando goes on a tear. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, he should, he should, yeah. I mean, but I mean, that's exciting stuff. That's. We're talking about a franchise that's been around for 50 years, and the franchise leader has 
163 That's insane. home runs. Is it just because nobody stays? I mean, I mean, if we want to think about it, the best player it's, of the franchise a is a of, contact it's guy. A mix, yeah, yeah. It's a mix of everything. I mean, the franchise has just been neglected for a long time. The all-time wins leader is Eric Schau with, with uh, what does he have, 200 and, no, uh, goodness. 103? Or I don't even know what Schau, I mean, this has been a team that's, I mean, we're talking about a team that's only made the playoffs five years, hasn't made the playoffs in 10 years, two division titles, no World Series championship, of course. This is a team Damn that's Yankees. been, yeah. I mean, look at the Marlins. The Marlins have two World Series champions, and, and they can't even buy a fan to get to go to the damn game. I mean, the so, Rays have been to one. Yeah. And they're the worst. It's, <laughs> it's exciting for San Diegans, especially since the C-Word, the C-word team left and, and they're playing they're playing elsewhere. This is... San Diego's a baseball town. This is like Portland with the, with the Trailblazers. I mean, this is this is our team, and it's nice to see the ownership go the extra mile. Of course, that doesn't guarantee success. We'll have to wait and see. Machado does have risk involved with him. I'm not one to forget the World Series and the antics that happened. Even before we'll that. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, even before that. I mean, there's, there's a history. There's a whole five-minute video of it. There's a reason why he lasted this long and why teams drug their feet on signing him. I mean, this is a 26-year-old generational talent that should have been signed right away. So there were question marks. I trust the Padres. I trust their baseball operations. I trust the fact that they went there and they did their homework and were able to look at him in his eyes and and figure out what he wanted to do or what he wants to do. And like I say, it's exciting. It's about this team making a splash. The Padres have a relevant player now, uh, perennial all-star, and that's exciting for this team. That's exciting for this city. That's something that, like I say, they haven't had for a long time. You know, there's been players here and there that have had good seasons, but we're talking about someone in the height of their career who has Hall of Fame type credentials, who could eventually be a Hall of Famer. So let's clear something up here. Everybody, everybody that watched at least baseball. You know, intensely, I guess is the word we can say, is Manny Machado's defense was bad last year. Let's clear that up right now. Manny Machado was not a bad defensive player last year. He was a bad defensive shortstop. There's no reason that he should ever be at the shortstop position after the after the after how he looked last year. Manny Machado is a gold glove. Actually, I'm pretty sure he's a platinum glove winner, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, at third base. He belongs at third base. I know his ego wanted to play shortstop for a while. But once he got back to L.A., he was a negative 1.8 defensive war player when it came to being in the Orioles and playing shortstop. Made it up entirely when he got to L.A. I mean, all, all those years he was pushed to third by J.J. Hardy. I mean, that that that, that in itself should, should tell you what kind of – I mean, they, they catered to him. They gave him what he wanted because he was on his way out and they were, they were trying to get top dollar for him so I can understand that. Uh, it's interesting what – you know, Tatis is going to have to serve his 15, 20 games, whatever, in, in the minor leagues in order to protect his his uh, season of arbitration. Yeah, exactly. So, will Machado see some time at short? I know, I know the Padres have Luis Urias tentatively penciled in as, as a shortstop at and this Kinsler point. Kinsler can play second in that meantime, right? Yeah. So, the plan right now is to have Kinsler at second, Tatis, I mean, uh, Urias at short, and Machado at third. But I, I don't know. We could see some jumbles in the lineup here and there. I would expect... Tatis, who's who's notoriously a slow starter, to to have some time in the minor leagues, 
if not the whole month of April or May. We'll, we'll have to wait and see what the Padres do. I know there's no sense of rush at this point. Uh, we'll have to wait and see if perhaps they make some more additions and that that narrative changes. Uh, but the Padres are, are, are pretty they're, – they're getting to be a pretty exciting team. I think a lot of fans uh, in the area are buying into it. Uh, season tickets just went through the roof uh, today. Uh, a lot of people are 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 buying into it, and and as they should. This is something exciting for the city. They've never been considered relevant on the national media like they are now, and uh, that's exciting. Has there ever been a better time to basically be in this position of pounce in the NL West? I mean, let's let's think about it. Arizona just traded away their prize, their most prized possession in Paul Goldschmidt. Got got a bunch in return, but you know they're obviously not Paul Goldschmidt. Then we go, we can go ahead and move on over Colorado. Colorado's probably about to lose their star, who's about to get the same amount of money, if not more, than Manny Machado did and Nolan Arenado. You know, so you know maybe the Rockies fall off a little bit, which I think they're actually going to because I think this division's gonna wind up. Yeah, being I mean, better they than lost. They lost Ottavino. They lost. They lost some some key components. Lemayhew. I mean, they they have issues. They're definitely trending the opposite way. Arizona as well. You know, the Dodgers are always tough. They're always going to be there. They have the farm system. They have the net worth. They have the ability to to get through adversity. Uh, right now, it's it's a two-team race. Uh, at this point, as far as the future is concerned between these two teams, you know, any, anything can, can change and, and can flip, uh, you know, can change at a, flip of, at a drop of a hat. The Giants are another team that, that don't have know the what ability. They don't know what they're doing right now, but if they can somehow shed payroll and find someone to take the majority of their their issues, then they could be dangerous down the line because they – they are a team that is willing to go the extra mile and 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 spend the money and make the trade. So they're a concern to me down the road. They're gonna but, have to do it with a different manager, though. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of issues. There's a lot of. I mean, Farhan Zahidi's got to work his magic, and it's gonna take some time for that to happen. And and they got a lot of bad contracts to deal with with Cueto and Samarja and and Belt and Crawford and 2012 All Star team. Yeah. I, the, the, when I heard the Bryce Harper talk, that, that that was just kind of funny to me. I mean, I, I guess they're still technically in it. I, I don't know how or why they would do that. I feel like uh, Bochi retiring kind of puts the Knicks on that almost. Yeah. I think if a player of that caliber is close to signing that you stick around. Yeah, that, that is true. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. But the point of this whole thing is that the Padres are built for the future. They have a great young young staff of 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 pitchers we'll have to wait and see which of those can emerge but uh you know i still have to think that they're looking they're out there looking for that ace and they're going to be aggressive in acquiring him they have plenty of bullets to spend to in order to get him i mean they have prospects they have relevant young major league players that they could deal as well so if they want to go out and acquire Corey kluber they can do it now whether or not they want to we'll have to wait and see all right, last thing before we go, and I know this isn't Padres, but I haven't actually got to talk about it on the show because we've been doing all these off-season overview show. What is like your feel on this whole Kyler Murray thing? It's pretty insane because the A's aren't going to wind up get are not going to wind up getting a comp just because of the timing of it. I know the A's traditionally draft with an unorthodox feel. They they should have known that his heart was in football. They should have known that that's where his future was. 
I don't know. You would think that they would have gone out and talked to him face to face, and he would have given them some, and some kind of indication that, you know, I, you know, that's great. I I love baseball, but I'm leaning toward. I mean, no, that's not just something he just decided one day and woke up. I mean, he pretty much, I would imagine, knew that that's where he wanted to do. I don't know. I, I do feel bad for him, but they should have done their homework and they should have been able to. There's a there's a high risk high reward and and obviously the risk was uh, got them but it is what it is right I think I think it's kind of elevated a little bit too because the A's don't make mistakes I mean if we go back through it the, the A's very rarely make a mental mistake basically and that's what this is I mean you know that front office had to see it coming like you just said the second that he said can I step foot on a football field you should have said you probably should have yeah, talked to him before and said hey hold on uh you're gonna sign this contract and we're gonna allow you to play football number one there's injury risk you gotta think about that I mean he is back there getting hit in the big 12 and I understand the big 12 is not exactly known for defense but it's still football you know and he played two extra games when or one yeah I guess two extra games because he got a conference championship, but what if something happens to him at that point and you then you're just stuck with this player that just is is basically a waste at that point. But the funny thing is that's what it winded up being anyway because you can't do anything with him. And at the end of the day, it is easier to go from football to baseball than it is to go to baseball to football. I mean, you know, yeah. The big example is Dion and Bo. Obviously, I mean, we. Brian Jordan a little bit too, but I mean, I just it, it just drives me nuts the, the way that this all went down. Yeah, it, the risk was there though. They should have seen the writing on the wall. I mean, I, I don't know what else to tell you. I think that they learned a valuable lesson about drafting future multi-sports talents. So we'll have to wait and see uh, what comes up with, with with that. But he's got unreal athleticism and. Like you say, it is easier to go from baseball to football, but it just takes one one bad hit, one move, one shoulder issue. Shoulders to, big. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, you you lose your your core, you lose your shoulders, and you lose you everything know? if you even if like. Can you imagine tearing an abdominal muscle? I mean, you couldn't do anything. Yeah, and 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 we're talking about uh, what, how old is he? I mean, he's not an eighteen, nineteen uh, year old kid. Twenty one, maybe. So, if he wants to come back in baseball in two years, he's going to be already an older prospect, and he's going to have to start out in, in a ball. Or it's it's just it's basically it's not, Tebow, it's, except with a whole lot less yeah, years. Tebow with talent. Yeah, Tebow with talent, exactly. <laughs> Mets are a circus, but that's another day. Three hundred million dollar contract for Manny Machado. It's it's pretty surreal. Uh, Padre fans are definitely celebrating. We'll have to see what the, the future holds for the San Diego Padres. But uh, I think it's it's a pretty good time to be a Padre fan and pretty good time to uh, to cover this farm system that's just burgeoning. 